Dr. Dominique Jean Lery served as Napoleon's chief surgeon of the French army during Napoleon's campaign in Egypt from 1798 to 1801, and he writes memoirs on 12 diseases he encountered as he served as, as the chief surgeon. He encountered scurvy, yellow fever, syphilis, hepatitis, elephantiasis, and of course, leprosy. He writes this, leprosy begins with vague pains in the legs. Little bluish pimples that contain pus appear and spread together to form plaques. These attack the face and extremities, rarely the chest or stomach. Plaques ooze a yellow smelly pus. The breath is fetid and the pulse is weak. Urine is abundant and breathing labored. The lips thicken. The skin is rough and numb at the eruptions. The nostrils dilate, the nose sags, and leprous spots spread but do not itch. The victim can remain years in this condition or he may die soon. Regions of skin affected lose feeling and strips of skin can be cut without pain. In critical stages, fever begins and the patient sinks into a coma and is insensible. When ulcers attack ligaments, motion is painful. The face becomes hideous. And I'm sure it was, as generations before, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. And I'm sure he had all the, the regular symptoms of leprosy, discolored skin, swollen lips, rough, rough skin, I mean... Putrid stench, open sores, all of that, along, along with uh, the shame of it. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. But how? How? Dr. Lery writes in his memoirs about this disease, saying leprosy demands long treatment, just as other diseases could be healed by use of mercury, bitters, opium, camphor, and other tonics. These were also used for leprosy. Through all the stages, warm baths to soften the pustules helped, followed by applying a salve. One should lift off the, scalves, the scabs with scissors or a surgical knife, cauterize remaining ulcers, then repeat until normal conditions return and the patient regains his functions. Daily treatment with dissolved oxide of copper, aluminum oxide, and a little sulfuric acid is recommended. Use vinegar to clean the bed and the apartment of the leper. But the leper says to Jesus here, if you are willing, if you are willing, there's no question of if you can or if you might possibly be able to, or if it is at all possible. No, if you are willing, you, apparently without the use of aluminum oxide and sulfuric acid, you, Jesus, can make me clean. <laughs> You're dreaming, bro. 
Like this is a pie in the sky idea because this disease, it causes permanent skin damage. It causes nerve damage, muscle weakness, impairment of the limbs and the eyes. It causes tissue loss, shortening of the fingers and toes as cartilage is absorbed into the body. On a busy street corner on a a warm summer day in Bratislava, a man dressed in a white t-shirt briskly walked by me. And in the crowd that was approaching, I saw their faces shift and change from smiles to repulsion. They formed like this parting of the sea wave as this man walked through them. And then I saw it a moment later, the repulsion, and I felt it inside as I saw his skin all ripped up and destroyed. I saw his face. I saw stubs where fingers used to be. And as he dashed across the busy street, my friend Sam next to me, he said, did you see that guy? He said, that's leprosy. And Sam would know he spent a a lot of time doing ministry in East Africa, especially in leper camps where he would go and minister and spend time with those who were suffering this terrible ostracizing disease. And he told me he would encounter people and he would see them, their their skin looked burned, deformed, and their hands were wasting away. And Sam told me that as he was in these camps, he would go uh, from person to person and he would take what was left of their hands in his and pray for them. (laughs) I thought, Sam, Sam, you are crazy. But for centuries, leprosy was considered a curse of God, often associated with sin. It didn't kill immediately, but neither did it seem to end. Instead, it lingered for years causing the tissues to degenerate and deform the body. With the wasting away of muscle tissue, there would be the wasting away of the nerve endings as well. And so there's documented cases of leprosy patients actually having their fingers chewed off by rats because they were asleep. And the receptors in their fingers were unable to warn them. But far worse than the physical torment of this disease is the social shunning that comes with it. Because leprosy patients were cast to the deepest, darkest bottom levels of society, separated, isolated, quarantined into camps in places where they were apart from society. People would even throw rocks at them in Jesus' day to keep them at a safe distance. Even the name leper carries with it a a terrifying experience, a terrifying feeling. Even today on street corners in Bratislava and religious law in ancient Israel even supported the social shunning of these individuals. This is what it says in Leviticus 13. The person who has the leprous disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head be disheveled and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And this leper who comes to Jesus, I mean, imagine this. His very skin has betrayed him. And for how long? 
His condition has torn his life apart. But suddenly, suddenly he knows where to go. Somebody new is on the scene. Jesus. But who is this Jesus? Who is this miracle worker, this exorcist, this teacher wandering around the villages of northern Israel? Who is this Jesus? Well, today we continue our brand new sermon series, Jesus Is, in which we're exploring the characteristics of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And Jeff kicked it off last week with Jesus is empowering. And today we're going to continue with Jesus is... Well, we'll wait and see. His name in Hebrew is Yeshua. Jesus, Yeshua. And it comes from the root word Yesha, meaning to rescue or to deliver. But how will Yeshua, Jesus, rescue or deliver, respond to this utterly God-forsaken man? How will he react to this repulsive individual? Well, let's turn to it. But before we do, let's ask God for his wisdom and his insight. Thank you, God. We come before you today wanting to know about you and how you work. Because we need it. And I pray in our lives as we encounter lepers, as we ourselves might be lepers in a sense, teach us how to love as we have been loved. I pray that the reading of your holy scriptures would come alive in our lives today, that they would be imprinted on our hearts and minds, that all of the distractions and all of the things that await us and all of the things that are bearing down on us right now, Lord, would be released and that we can focus right now on what you have for us today. Give us clarity of thought and mind and with the words of my heart and the meditation of my mouth, or whatever, how that saying goes, would it be pleasing to you, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you would, if you have your Bibles, do turn with me because you will need them today as we are going to be exploring the Word of God. And so I want you to follow along as well with me. We're going to turn to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1. So I'll give you a second to get there. Gospel of Mark chapter 1 at the very bottom of that first chapter in verse 40. And it begins like this. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus. Begging to be healed, that's what he said, or that's what he did, right? A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. But did you notice, what was his name? What was was his name? Uh, No, his name wasn't Jesus, the man with leprosy. What was his name? He wasn't named. He wasn't named. His whole entire identity is wrapped up in his condition. He's simply known throughout all generations for all time as a man with leprosy. 
Did he have another name? Maybe, but he's not called that. He's simply called a man with leprosy. It's everything that defines who he is, his condition, his ostracizing disease. But check out his actions. He comes to Jesus and he kneels before him and he begs Jesus. And his statement, the words in which he uses, I think are very significant. It is a sign of faith. It's a sign of trust. He recognizes Jesus as the one with power and authority. It's humility and it's confidence. Jesus, you are able. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. And now as a leper, he's unfit to participate in any social or religious activity. And so what is he doing here? He's asking Jesus for two things, to be healed and made clean. To be healed physically in his body, that he would be restored, that he would be freed of this terrible disease. But then he's also asking to be made clean. In terms of the society in ancient Israel, this would mean being brought back into the community. Not just the community of faith, but society in general. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And verse 41 begins, moved with disgust, nausea, repulsion. No, moved with splagnizomai. Jesus is moved with splagnizomai. And now your Bibles might read something like moved with compassion. And I think that's a good translation. But splagnizomai, it means so much more. It means to be moved in the inward parts. To be moved in the internal organs, the heart, the, 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 heart the, the lungs, the liver, the kidneys, the bowels. To be moved in such a way that you actually have to move. You have to do something about it. Moved entirely with this empathy to help, to do something. And now if you're following along in your Bibles, hopefully there's a footnote there. At the end of that word, which is probably translated as compassion, at the very bottom of the page, it'll probably say something like, some ancient manuscripts read moved with anger. So what is it? Is he moved with compassion or is he moved with anger? Well, when it comes to anger, what is he angry about? Is he angry at the man who has leprosy? No, I don't think so. I, I think maybe he's angry at the man's condition, the pain and agony that this man has experienced and what he is going through. Jesus is angry about it. Or Jesus is angry at the, the human condition, how evil and sin has touched the human scene and is so resistant to the power of the kingdom of God. So whatever case, if he's moved with compassion or he's moved with anger, Jesus is moved entirely to move. Before he says anything, this is what happens. Jesus reached out and touched him. Jesus reached out and touched him. Dr. Dominic Jean Lery writes, Is leprosy contagious? Many early Jewish and Arab doctors and physicians of Cairo at the time of the French occupation believed it was. There was a young soldier who lived a healthful life but who had contracted leprosy. The man recalled that he had slept on a mattress taken from a house near Cairo. He had seen a dying woman covered with black crusts in that house. She probably had slept on the same mattress. The young man blamed this episode for his leprosy. Well, here Jesus is generations before. 
reaching out and touching a man with leprosy. Imagine the leper's stench. Imagine the open sores, the, the ailing body. And Jesus reached out and touched him. The leper probably hasn't felt the warmth of human touch in, in how long? In years, right? Who knows what thoughts flash through his mind in this moment? This touch, though, it would have made Jesus ceremonially, ritually, religiously unclean and also, like, susceptible to acquiring leprosy, right? Over the centuries, leprosy has been labeled as a deadly contagion, extremely contagious disease. But the reality is 95% of the population actually has a natural immunity to this disease. And you actually have a higher chance of acquiring leprosy from this little guy as opposed to human-to-human -human contact. An armadillo, actually. Up to 20% of armadillos actually carry leprosy on their stomachs. And so what I think this goes to show is that we have completely misunderstood this disease. And who has suffered because of that? The victims. Therefore, it is quite misunderstood, and this misunderstanding can especially be seen in the practice of shunning in the first century context. But instead of shunning, Jesus engages. Instead of ostracizing, Jesus touches. Instead of repulsion, Jesus is willing. I am willing, Jesus says. Be healed. Because Jesus is never repulsed by anybody. Jesus is never repulsed by anybody. He touches the leper, and he says, be healed. At Jesus' touch, nothing remains defiled. Far from becoming unclean, Jesus makes the unclean clean, breaking all concepts of social and cultural and religious barriers and boundaries. Jesus touches the leper and says, I am willing, be healed. And instantly, verse 42 says, the leprosy disappeared. And the man was healed. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and he will examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. So show yourself to the priest. This will be a public testimony because the priest is the one in this day and age, in this culture, who deems an individual fit for society again. You are clean or unclean. Here's what it says in, in Leviticus 14. If the priest finds that someone has been healed of a serious skin disease, he will perform a purification ceremony using two live birds that are ceremonially clean, a stick of cedar, some scarlet yarn, and a hyssop branch. It sounds like hocus pocus. The priest will order that one bird be slaughtered over a clay pot with fresh water. He will take the live bird, the lucky one, the cedar stick, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop branch, and dip them into the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water. 
The priest will then sprinkle the blood of the dead bird seven times on the person being purified of the skin disease. Sounds crazy, but some of you guys believe in essential oils. When the priest has purified the person, he will release the live bird in the open field to fly away. The persons being purified must then wash their clothes, shave off all their hair, and bathe themselves in water. Then they will be ceremonially clean and may return to the camp. However, they must remain outside their tents for seven days. On the seventh day, they must again shave their hair from all their heads, including the hair, the beard, and the eyebrows. But verse 45 of Mark chapter 1 says, But the man went and spread the word proclaiming to everyone what had happened. So he he fast-tracks the whole religious rigmarole, says, you know what, maybe I don't want to shave off my eyebrows. I don't know what the deal is, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you that Jesus touched my life, and I have to, I have to, I can't keep silent about this. And that might be a good thing. Jesus tells him not to do that because of circumstances that deal with the literal and historical setting of what is happening here. But, but this is what it says. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Jesus is willing. Jesus is willing. And here we see Jesus take a leper, one unclean, one unwelcome, transform him, heal him. This individual who is unfit to participate in any religious or social activity and make him welcome and clean. Jesus shows that his willingness to touch, to heal, to reintroduce this man into community is huge. Jesus shows his passionate commitment, not not just to the wholeness, but also the holiness of somebody on the outskirts. In the face of revulsion and hopelessness and social ostracization, Jesus is willing. This means no person is too disgusting for Jesus' touch. Jesus is repulsed by no one. This means that you are not too far for Jesus to reach. You are not too guilty for Jesus to forgive. You are not too worthless for Jesus to love. And how do I know this? Uh, Because we saw it happen right here. Everything about what we have seen. Instead of shunning, Jesus embraces. Instead of ostracizing, Jesus touches. Instead of repulsion, Jesus says, I am willing Jesus is repulsed by no one, but I am. Like, come on, he's covered in plaques with yellow pus, and it stinks. He's dirty. He's filthy. Or, oh, she is so annoying. Or they watch Fox News, or CNN, or they're needy. They're difficult. I can't get along with them. Or, you know, they're like bisexual, homosexual, heterosexual, asexual, transsexual, something sexual. Uh, they've got a drug problem. They've got a drinking problem. They're strange. They're young. They're old. You know, it only takes seven seconds. Seven seconds of an initial, interreac- an initial interaction with someone. Seven seconds is all that it takes for you and I to develop 11 conclusions about an individual that we're meeting for the very first time. Seven seconds. 
That's all it takes. They call it the 7-Eleven law and uh, has nothing to do with ICs or rotisserie hot dogs. It has everything to do with all it takes is seven seconds for someone to come up with 11 conclusions or assumptions about you. Here's what I'm talking about. People, when they see you for just seven seconds, one alligator, two alligator, three alligator, four alligator, five alligator, six alligator, seven alligator. That's it. All they needed to come up with this. Your education level, economic level, perceived credibility, believability, competency, and honesty, trustworthiness, level of sophistication, orientation, level of success, political, religious, ethnic, background, social, professional, desirability. That means you would never work in my company. Or you know what? Can I give you a job, job resume like right now? Like, I'd love for you to come work. Or you know what? Ugh, you walk into a room. I will never be friends with her. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand, four, one thousand, five, one, six, one, seven thousand. I mean, that's all it took. Or you know what, man? We could be best friends. That's all it takes. Seven seconds. And researchers at Princeton actually discovered that all it takes is one tenth of a second to determine traits like trustworthiness. One tenth of a second. <laughs> Okay, so uh, on one hand, first impressions really matter. On the other hand, this shows us that we are really, really super judgy. And we didn't even know it. Like, and can we even control it? So here's what we can do, I think. Maybe give it seven more. Seven more seconds. And then with whatever you assume or whatever you conclude, after 14 seconds of an initial interaction, after 14 seconds, learn a willingness to love whatever you find there. Learn a willingness to love with a bottomless capacity. For each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Each of us is more than the worst parts about us. And you know, when I, I read the Bible, I often imagine myself, when I, I hear the story of God, I often think of myself as someone like David, right? Not like when he hooks up with Bathsheba and then has her husband killed, but like when he defeats Goliath. Or I imagine that I'm like Peter, not when he denies Jesus three times, but like when he walks on water. Or imagine, I fantasize, I think about myself as like, oh, yeah, you're like Elijah. Elijah, but without the depression. Just like when he like defeats the prophets of Baal and God rains down fire from heaven and he goes up to heaven in a chariot of fire. That's when I imagine myself as Elijah. Or Elisha, not when he sicks the bears on all those kids which I have thought of before, but when he, when he raises the dead or when he heals Naaman uh, of leprosy or when we read the Psalms like we just did all summer, when I turn to the Psalms, I always view myself and you guys probably do too. I mean, I don't know, like I'm always the good guy in the Psalms, right? The trustworthy, the upright, the righteous. When in reality, like you might be the wicked, dude evildoer in this situation. 
at the end of the day, I think if I were to take an honest inventory, probably my best is not comparable to their worst. I mean, like I haven't put a hit out on some guy after I slept with his wife or anything. I haven't sick bears on kids or anything, you know, but, but the point I'm trying to get to is uh, who are you in this story? In Mark chapter one, verse 40 through 45, who are you in this story? Jesus heals the leper. Well, there's only two people in the story. There's Jesus and there's the leper. And you and I, we're not Jesus. And if you're reading your Bible closely, which a lot of you are, you're like, well, there's the crowd that surrounds Jesus. That's not us either. You and I, I think in this story are the leper. We have been touched and scarred by the gravity of sin. By the ugliness of it all. And yet, even though we've been separated and ostracized and isolated and lonely and broken and unclean and ravaged and pained, Jesus touched us with a willingness to love with a bottomless capacity and giving us the opportunity to be healed to be welcomed back. And this willingness cost him no less than everything, everything. He is Yeshua, he is rescuer, he is deliverer who rescues and delivers by means of his death, his death on a cross, shedding his blood, placed in a tomb, in a burial cave that could not keep him buried. And this Jesus, this Yeshua, deliverer, rescuer, continues to deliver and rescue us today. So when you and I feel repulsed by somebody, when you and I feel repulsed by somebody, maybe we should give it seven seconds more. And remember how God feels about that person and how God feels about you. That Jesus loves you and has always loved you with a willingness to love with a bottomless capacity. That Jesus loves you at your best and at your worst. And it has nothing to do with anything that you've done or could do. He loves you for just being you. And I think you might need to hear that today, that Jesus loves you just for you, not because of your title, not because of your abilities, not because of your talents, not because of your education, not because of such a great parent that you might be or such a great son or daughter or whatever it might be. Jesus just loves you for who you are because he created you. And God does not create junk. He only creates masterpieces and miracles simply because you have breath in your lungs and, and, and you have strength in your bones. This means that you are alive. God has breathed his very breath, his nefesh, into you. You have become a human being with purpose and value and love. And you are to experience that and reflect that out into this world. We are to be his image bearers in this world. You realize that? It's not just about coming to church. It's not just about going to home and pretending like we've got it all together when we really, really don't. It's about coming together to experience the goodness of God, to go out and change this world, loving them one person at a time. And you know what? He is deliverer, he is rescuer. And what does that mean in our lives? That we can do the same, but not by our, our own strength or by our own might, it's by his power through us. He loves us at our worst and at our best. So what's stopping me 
from loving those around me at their worst and at their best. For you are more than the worst and best thing you've ever done. You are more than the worst and best parts about you. And so if Jesus is moved with splagnizomai, if Jesus is moved with this compassion, it stirs up his inner organs to actually move what's stopping me. If Jesus is moved with anger so intensely at the sin and the destruction and the evil that afflicts the, the human community, and resist the kingdom of God. What's stopping me from being angry about it? And if Jesus has always been far more willing to love with a bottomless capacity, what's stopping that willingness in me? I think it's really a question of the will. It's really a question of the will. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, will any sacrifice be too great? for me to make for him. And you know, we were singing it during the the offering time, the prayer cards, and and it just hit me as Tara was singing these, these words. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thy all in all. And that just means like you're weak and you need Jesus. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed as white as snow. But verse 2 says it all for me here. Lord, now indeed I find thy power in thine alone. Just basically, God, you have all the power. And your power can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. How many of us today are walking around with hearts made of stone? And we come and we hear this message about, oh, yeah, we're supposed to love with a bottomless capacity, be willing, you know, all that stuff. But what needs to happen? Everything, transformation needs to happen for us to have that heart of stone melted. And why is it? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. So therefore I have to live a different way. I cannot follow the patterns of this world and the way that culture is going or whatever it may be. I cannot follow the systems and practices of our day and age. I have to follow Jesus because relentlessly, with all my strength, with all my weakness, with everything, I need to follow Jesus. All to him I owe. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you paid it all, and therefore we want to give you all that we are, all that we have, all that we know, all that we could ever dream of. You are the greatest conceivable being, but you are beyond that, beyond our ability to to even think or conceptualize, and we want to follow you wholeheartedly with all our guts, with all our strength, with all our fears and doubts. So help us to live for you, Jesus.